This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. The van has moved on throughout Europe. Pete, where do we find you today? Somewhere between Valencia and Barcelona. Um, I was in Valencia yesterday and then in Barcelona for a few days tomorrow, so just a stop off halfway somewhere along the beach. Has your missus worked out yet that this is like a tour of great footballing hubs? Um, has, has she sussed out your motivation yet, Pete? <laughs> well, I think I think Valencia is actually well pretty close to where Corbran was born. I think he he worked there for a bit as well. So, oh, well, there you go, segueing seamlessly onto today's pod, where Carlos Corbran has had quite well, as you would expect, quite a lot of influence over the last couple of games. Of course. Albion have played twice since the last time we recorded. Unfortunately, due to personal commitments, when Albion have a midweek game, it does make it extremely difficult for us to to cover that. But um, two games, what well, three games in a week, really? If you it, you know you look at the Bristol City one, and it's three draws, three points, and I think it would be fair to say, Pete, that you look at those games collectively, and they tend to run. The, a similar sort of pattern. There are obviously differences in the games themselves. There's definitely differences in the personnel that were picked for the uh, for those various games. However, the common thread seems to be slow start, get to grips with the game, be the better side for the vast majority, but miss too many chances to uh, to actually go away with the three points, which ultimately we probably deserve. Would you say that's a fair summation of Bristol City, Watford, and Millwall in an, in a nutshell? And on by virtue of that, that we quite possibly should be sitting here talking about nine points, not three, from the last three games. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, especially for the um, Bristol City and Millwall games, where in the first half it was probably the opposition's game and. And then in the second half, we were dominant for basically most of the game. Um, 
I think Watford was maybe slightly different. It was just a bit more chaotic and both teams had chances all the way through. And especially and the weather played a big part as well, Pete. Yeah, exactly. The weather played a massive part with, you know, the amount of passes that seemed to be misplaced and interceptions and the number of sliding tackles. Um, Did well to not have anyone sent off in an Ishmael game with that, those kind of conditions. Um, But yeah, I think Watford probably finished a little bit stronger than we did as well. We seem to be dropped back for the last five, 10 minutes or so, um, but could have won it earlier on and they probably could have done as well. But yeah, Millwall and Bristol City, especially, I think we probably should have walked away with with three points there. You say in an Ishmael game, though, Pete, and we, you know, we're not going to focus too too long on on the opposition and, and the past, as it were, because you know we like we very much like to live in the present and talk about the Albion as we are now. But that that wasn't an Ishmael side as we as we remember it. I, I've I've got a I've got a um, WhatsApp group with with a group of the other the other um, Championship podcast, and I was I was chatting to a fella from from the Watford podcast about it, and. His his summary of Watford was, oh, you know, look, we probably won't do anything this season because we, you know, we've got a load of lovely technical players, but not not enough sort of um, cutting edge and uh, and and you know the, the real grit about the side. I thought, what what we wouldn't have given for a bit of technical when when Val was Albion manager. I mean, as as he just had like. It, it's it's like it's like when Scrooge got visited by the uh, by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Pete, it's like somebody's come to Valerian Ishmael in the night, and he's he's turned over this ridiculous new leaf because that that was nothing like what I remembered him as Albion manager. No, I think there was well, I mean, against us at least. I don't know about the rest of the season, but I think they're still quite quick to move the ball forward, but maybe just not as maybe a bit more, a bit more accurately, rather than we were kind of just going along and then pressing from there. Um, and to be fair, I think Albion looked sometimes like they were playing under an Ishmael team with the way that we were just very very direct down the wings and then try and win the ball back high up the pitch. And, well, I think, I think that might have been how Wallace got his goal um, from winning it high up the pitch and then moving it quickly into the box. Excellent pressing from Darnell Furlong, Pete. And uh, uh, whilst, you, whilst you've mentioned that, I do want to dwell on on Darnell uh, a moment because he obviously uh, he he came on towards towards the end against Millwall, but I was really impressed with him against Watford, and I, I've generally been quite impressed with with Darnell going forward. I was chatting about this on on social media, and, and Darnell, I think because he's an incomplete fullback in terms of not being a hundred percent rounded, not not that any championship fullback is or should be. Um, I think people find uh, find criticisms with him. No, he doesn't go past people. No, he actually it, it, his tackling is not brilliant. But what he what he is very good at is he is very good at intercepting in those passing lanes. He's very good um, at winning headers. He gets into the box extremely well. And the uh, and and the the biggest thing for me, Pete, since the start of this season is his passing. I mean, as you say, we won the ball up, back high up, um, which was Darnell's pressing. And then he plays plays the ball off Brandon and he whips a wonderful ball in for Wallace to turn home. He was the one who who slung the ball in for, for Swift to score as well. Uh, sorry, not, not Swift to score, Swift to hit the bar against Bristol City, I should say. And we, we highlighted this a little bit in pre-season that, that Darnell's passing was looking like another level. I think there's a 
I, I, I do think he's a, he's a really good offensive player for us. I think part of the problem that he's, that he's potentially got, and, and we've gone from having no options in those fullback positions to since we've gone to wing back, I think we've actually got some really difficult decisions to make because we'll come on to Matty Phillips in a minute, but I thought he was absolutely brilliant against Millwall. But then I also thought that um, Connor Townsend was absolutely brilliant against Millwall. I thought Furlong was really, really good against Watford. And then you've got Pippa sitting there who hasn't even pulled on an Albion shirt yet and would almost certainly be expecting to to play some games at, at some point. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, you could play Phillips or Townsend at left wing back. You could you could play Phillips, Furlong or Pippa at right wing back. And I think Pippa hasn't had an opportunity to make a case for himself yet, but the others have all made really, really strong cases for themselves this week alone. And I honestly don't know who our two best wing backs are in this three centre half system at this moment in time. Uh, if you if you ask me to uh, to pick the team for the next game, I don't know which two players I'd I'd pick. I know uh, what, the one thing I know one hundred percent is that I would play Matt Phillips, but I've no idea which side at this minute in time. I I think it's really difficult. We've gone from that being a position for almost uh, for over a year, which picked itself where there was absolutely no competition to a position where there are a variety of players, all of whom have made an excellent case for themselves. Yeah. Um, all done well and all offer different things as well. I think Furlong, like you say, he's good when he's got the ball at his feet and is comfortable com- coming inside as well, rather than just staying out wide and, and keeping the width out there. So it's probably beneficial if he plays maybe more as a fullback rather than a wingback and Jed Wallace out on the right who can kind of keep the width there but as a wingback can still get forward and, and put the crosses in like you said um, and then he protects his, the back post really well as well from crosses um, you know both with his head and just kind of winning fouls there as well um, uses his body quite well there like you say Phillips did well against Millwall um, not really with his passing or anything, but more just kind of the runs that he made and, and winning corners from from his crosses as well. Um, and well, yeah, can I, I can down... I just say on that, Pete Matt Phillips, the the stat that when I when I went through FB Ref earlier today in preparation for this pod, the stat that jumped off the page at me was Matt Phillips had the second most touches in the opposition penalty area, of unsurprisingly behind Brandon, and and you would expect the the, the centre forward to be number one on that, but for the second highest to be your right wing back just shows what a threat he can be in that position. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You, you get forward a lot and attack the box as well, which is probably something that the furlong doesn't do as much in comparison, which you understand considering one's actually a fullback and one's a winger. Um, but yeah, if you, want, if you want kind of the a more attacking option than furlong as the right wing back, then obviously you've got Phillips as well. You know he's going to make those runs and um, he's going to attack the box and probably help Brandon out when he's kind of operating as a bit of a, a lone striker. And you have to say, I mean, Matty uh, pro- possibly should should have scored, but I mean, you've got to say as well, he's he's so unlucky. I mean, his, his shot has a post-shot expected goals of 0.78, which basically means eight times out of 10, that goes in the back of the net. I mean, the keeper's made an unbelievable save there, hasn't he? Yeah, was that the one in the second half? And then 
do we have a rebound after it as well? Was that Phillips on the rebound? I can't remember what it was, but I think it was think indeed. It was blocked. Yes. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. The um, rebound was blocked. Yeah. Yeah. Can't really believe that that didn't go in. Um, I mean, it wasn't the only big chance we had in the game, was it? Brandon should have put his away. Um, oh, don't worry. We'll come to all of this. <laughs> I, don't worry. I have I have been through the post shot expected goals of all of these chances, Pete. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, we we definitely should have stuck the ball in the back of the net and and probably should have gone gone away with three points. Um, but yeah, there's a few players you can look out for that. I think absolutely. And just moving on to Connor Townsend, Pete. Most shot creating actions against Millwall with six, second highest expected assists, but also most tackles won in the defensive third. And I think that goes that goes unnoticed a little bit because I mean there was one in the second half where Millwall tried to drive forward down Connor's wing and he's just played this this block tackle where He's basically just stopped the ball dead, and the lad's gone over his leg because he's he he's been that strong in the tackle. Most interceptions as well. When Connor Townsend is at it, okay, what he what he doesn't give you is what Matty Phillips gives you, which is this flying winger in an offensive sense. But his ability to pass the ball, his ability to create opportunities for people, but also the level of solidity you get from him defensively because I think that's the one thing that you don't get from Matty Phillips I I don't particularly like Matt Phillips as a one-on-one defender I he, he makes me extremely extremely nervous and I think we saw that a bit against Middlesbrough but I think Connor Townsend is just so rock solid in those situations and I mean when, when we're talking about which one which ones would you play I mean it obviously depends on on the game I have to say, I think against Preston, who are obviously flying pretty high at the moment, I think Connor Townsend is the one where you look at him and you go, he's pretty much, he's the closest to the best of both worlds. He might not be amazing at everything. As I say, no championship defender is. But in terms of being pretty much a rock defensively, okay, he has the occasional moment where he switches off on his shoulders and we we know that's a problem for Connor Townsend. It always has been. It's his it's his Achilles heel if you like. He doesn't he, he does have a tendency to not notice runners over his shoulder. But besides that, I mean he wins he wins tackles. He doesn't get beat one on one. We did the stats last year. I think it was I think it's once in every ten games Connor Townsend gets beat one on one. I mean I just I just love him as a player. I know he's not to some fans he's not dynamic enough and I understand where they where they're coming from. They they see uh, fullbacks at other clubs flying forward your Ryan Mannings of this world and they want that to be Connor Townsend. It's never ever going to be. But I have to say as a defender I think he's solid and as a ball playing defender I really don't think there's any better in this league, do you? Yeah, I really really like him and rate him highly. Um I think he's maybe more suited to playing in Back four and playing as the fullback because something that he does really well when he plays as a left back rather than a wing back is he getting inside of the the winger and attacking the box from there just inside of them and kind of receiving those diagonal balls just between the fullback and the centre back. Um, as a wing back, I don't think he does it as much because he's he's more got to keep the width there and um, I don't think he received any passes in the penalty area against Millwall, um, which might be why. Might be why Corbran's not been playing him the last couple of games, apart from Millwall. Um, well, yeah, I think he can play both positions really well. And um, like you say, I don't think you can get you know, get many, if any, better 
fullbacks um, in terms of their ability to pass the ball forwards. I mean, it's obviously a tricky one, Pete. And I mean, I suppose there's not necessarily an answer to this. But when I said before about when you look at these these players and try to determine which two to pick, is there an answer to that question? Or do you think it's just a matter of, as, as Corbran has kind of done in the last few games, picked horses for courses, pick, tried to pick the right ones for the right games? Because... I mean, look, we're, you know, we're a, we're a championship football club. We're not going to have perfect footballers, let alone perfect fullbacks. So none, all of them have their their negatives, but I do think they all have more positives than they have negatives. When it comes to actually determining which two to play, and also when when one misses out, I think people have a have a bit of a tendency these days to look. And the 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 word dropped is one I hate in football because it it's just got such negative connotations to it it makes it sound like you've been binned off for doing something wrong and i don't think i really don't think that's the case especially when you've got a manager as um thoughtful as carlos corboran is i think carlos just tries to assess the opposition i don't think emotion necessarily comes into it i don't think it's like it, it a player not playing is a pun- is not a punishment that's not how carlos sees it but I do think that when he will he will just pick the players that he thinks are best to win uh, win the game. And do you think within those three and possibly four, you know, depending on how Pippa gets on when he when he pulls on the shirt, do you do you think that we've got options there to kind of almost fulfil any scenario, as it were? Yeah, I mean, so far we've got we've got three good options for the two positions, um, and one that can play play both in Matt Phillips and then potentially Pippa as well for the for the right wing back spot. So plenty of options there. Um and yeah, it probably will be who's most suited to each game. I think Phillips seems like he's kind of the undroppable option at the minute and will play on on one of the two sides or, or maybe even in a more attacking position. But then it kind of just depends on which side he chooses Phillips to play to or it's probably which fullback, other fullback he, or wingback he wants to play, and then Phillips can fill in on the other side. Um, I do, I do think I prefer him at right wing back, though, Pete. I don't know. I, I just, I just prefer him on his on his natural side. I know he, he's he's got this these qualities cutting in, but personally, if I'm honest, I pre- I prefer him on that right. What about you? Yeah, I did like him on the right against Millwall. Um, then I thought he had a really good game against Watford as well on the left. So he does offer different things. Um, I mean, he's always going to attack the box as well, which is probably what we need from, from one of them just to support support Brandon up there. Yeah, it's it's tight, really. Um, yeah, I think I probably would side with you to have him on on his natural side. I mean, it, again, it might depend whether Jed Wallace is playing. If Wallace is playing, do you need two natural right wingers on the right hand side, or are you better off shifting Phillips onto the left where he can can cut in uh, and Wallace can keep the width of cross from the right. Well, that, that that's a whole other debate, um, uh, which uh, which I think we need to have a, a little bit later on about um, how how well Sarmiento and Dean Garner did in in the stead of um, Wallace and uh, and Swift. But we'll come to that shortly. What I want to touch on now, Pete, is I, I mentioned at the at the start that all three games saw Albion have something of a slow start against Bristol City. I think you can call the entire first half a slow start, even though we did have the best chance 
of the of the half when Brandon went through one on one. Watford, we've obviously conceded after after a couple of minutes, and Millwall. It was interesting. It was interesting to hear Carlos totally acknowledge it in the post match press conference, where he where he basically said, you know, we we, we were we were slow. Um, I can't remember the, the the exact words that he used, but. It pretty much pertained to that we, that we we were lethargic, we looked sleepy, early doors, and and basically that the penalty completely woke us up. Now, when you're saying things like you know that the, the penalty kind of like jolted us into action, woke us up a little bit, it just goes back to what we were talking about last week, and I just think there's I just think there's a mentality issue with with these players. I don't know. I don't know why it is at the start of games, but they just don't seem to be completely at it. You go back to the Watford game. And again, Carlos highlighted this in his post-match press conference. He said, look, you know, we've we've set up to try and do something in a game. And then a couple of minutes into the game, we've gone and pressed a ball that we don't need to go and press. And we can see the goal off it. And he's talking about Semi Ajayi because you watch the, the first goal for Watford back. And what on earth Semi Ajayi is going and going and chasing that ball to the halfway line for is anybody's guess i mean it's it's individual errors um but again that's something that i'm going to come to in just in just a moment because i do think they are starting to drop off a little bit i think probably i think for for sort of we've got to a point now where for 75 minutes in the last two matches pete we're we're playing a pretty good game at this point in time but we just every single week we're slow out of the blocks. You know, we we went we went one nil down against Watford. We should have gone a goal down against Bristol City. And to be honest, if it weren't for a brilliant save from Alex Palmer from from a penalty, we go one nil down against Millwall. I would say for three quarters of most games at this point in time, Pete, we are we're the better side. And I think that's a massive, massive positive that Albion fans need to hang on to and remind themselves because the the league the league table doesn't make for particularly pretty reading. I appreciate that. I also appreciate the fact that three draws in a week. Um, if the two games that you went to, which uh, which for, which for myself and my father is the case, <laughs> in that week were both nil nil, then you've just seen back to back nil nil draws, which is which is not particularly pleasing either. But the reality of the situation is that they weren't two boring nil-nil draws where there was no opportunities for Albion to win it. If we're more clinical in those two games, we definitely score. And certainly in the Millwall game, outside of the penalty, there really aren't any real chances for Millwall in, in the game. I think there was a flicked header from the corner that resulted from the penalty save. And that was that was largely it for Millwall in, in the game. But So there's so many positives to take. But what we cannot keep doing, Pete, is is starting games so, so slowly that we're doing every week and potentially giving ourselves a mountain to climb from the off because we did that after a couple of minutes against Watford. And when you watch the whole of that game, Watford was so open. I mean, if we could have just kept it tight for, for even for 10 minutes and just got a foothold into the game... I mean, they were leaving us two on two at the back. We we should have been able to expose them. And against Millwall, OK, we've got away with it. And quite how we've not won the game in the second half is anybody's guess. 
because it's not just missed chances. There's some horrendous bad luck in there as well and some great goalkeeping. You have to say the Bielkowski save from Matt Phillips is an unbelievable stop and Alex Mowat's so unlucky with that free kick. So it's not it's not just poor finishing. It's a bit of that, but it's also a bit of bad luck. And maybe it's natural variance working itself out because everything we hit in the first few games of the season went in the back of the net. Maybe this is just, you know, when 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 people use that complete lie of a phrase um uh, that which is it works itself out over a season and that's not true by the way but uh, but but maybe there's just a little bit of truth in that in this particular instance that we we had the rub of the green in pretty much everything we hit for a, for a, for the first few games and now we're just not but we're not i don't think we're playing any worse than we in fact i actually think we're playing better than we were when we when we're winning games but back to my my point we can't keep starting them um, slowly because if we do keep starting them slowly, Pete, we we might play well for seventy five minutes, but we're gonna have we're gonna have to do it coming from one nil down. Yeah, most games of the season we've seemed to start pretty slowly. Um, Millwall, same kind of story. They they had all the momentum for the first thirty minutes, and then for the rest of the sixty minutes, it was probably Albion's game. Got a bit lucky, to be honest, to not be to not be one nil down. Thanks to Palmer's penalty save. Yeah, I mean, obviously starting games slowly and, and conceding early goals is an issue, but it's probably more of an issue when we're struggling to score so much. Um, well, we have been struggling to create chances. Um, Millwall's a bit different. We kind of created a few more chances, but um, we're just struggling to put it in, in the back of the net. So, I mean, yeah, when you're struggling to put the ball in the back of the net, I mean, even at nil nil, you still need that goal. Um, if you start at one nil down, then then you need two, and it's quite rare. Well, it it doesn't feel like we're able to score two goals. I know we have done in a few games, but um, we're definitely missing a few few big chances each game. Do you agree with the statement that we're actually playing better now uh, after three draws on the spin than uh, than we were when we when we were coming off the back of what was it, two wins and a draw? Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I think. Earlier on in the season, um, we're struggling to create chances. I think we're, we're creating a few more now, but just not putting them in the in the back of the net, which is, I suppose that influences everyone opin- everyone's opinion on whether you're playing well or not, is whether you're actually scoring goals. Um, but I think the performances have probably been better. And if you keep playing like that, then, then you will eventually start to score, score goals. Um, you can't continually miss big chances every game. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean... Through draws, but I think there's plenty to be to be positive about them. And it's interesting since Carlos. I mean, Carlos made made a real point after the Huddersfield game that we can't keep conceding two goals a game. We cannot keep conceding two goals a game. Now, um, the Bristol City game happened after that, and whilst we kept a clean sheet in that game, you have to say we made some pretty glaring individual errors, which which easily could have cost us a goal. Since then, Pete. I've got, I've got to say, I think we've tightened up massively. You look at you look at the Watford game, and the two goals that Watford scored um, were had had a value, an xG value of 0.03 and 0.06. Now, people will think I'm 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 crazy for what I'm about to say. I have absolutely no problem with us conceding two goals of a. XG. I've got a bit of a problem with the first one because, like I say, semi goes walkabouts, and there's no there's no excuse for the completely appalling 
pressing that he does. And that, that I have a problem with. But generally speaking, if teams score goals against you of 0.03 and 0.06 XG, they are two, for this level, world-class finishes. But what, what passes for the championship for world-class finishes, that's what they are. And I don't really think Palmer was at fault for either of them, which which takes away any other layer of criticism that I might possibly have. So I don't I don't have a problem with that. And I'll tell you why I don't have a problem with that, because that's not going to happen every week. You're not you, you are not going to cons- if you, if the only chances that you're that you're giving up have a less than 0.1 XG value to it then you're probably not going to concede most weeks because you because you're not giving up high value chances so i'm fine with those being the goals we conceded because what we said earlier on in the season is the problem that we had was that we were teams weren't having to earn their goals against us and we were giving them opportunities because so many of the opportunities and the goals that we were conceding were coming from individual errors yes that's the case for for the first one a bit against uh, against Watford, but nonetheless, there's still a lot of football between that happens between then and the ball ending up on in the back of the net. I just don't think if you give those chances away against most teams in this division that you're going to concede. And then you come on to the Millwall game. Now, Millwall had an XG over the course of the game of 1.1, but you have to take into account that 0.79 of that is the penalty. So really what you're looking at is a, is an XG of 0.3 over the whole match. They had an XG in the second half of 0.03. I mean, so that's how much of the football we had in that second half. That I mean, they've basically got zero chance of scoring in that second half from the from the play that they had. That is utter utter dominance and you and you you put to that the, the amount of chances that that we had. I mean, they effectively equate to about 1.5 goals which looks a little bit weird because our overall xg was 1.4 but what uh, but xg only counts um a, a couple of shots within one action as one as uh, as one opportunity so i'm adding all the different opportunities up it, despite the fact that some of them came back out from block shots etc cetera, etc cetera. the the fact of the matter is that we have tightened up at the back largely speaking we seem to have cut out most of the individual errors, although Kipre still had a horrendous pass against um, against um, against Watford, and I have to say, I don't think it's uh, look. I'm not getting on at Cedric Kipre. I think that ship sailed. I think uh, most people who listen to this pod know that. I am utterly conflicted when it comes to Cedric Kipre because I love 95% of the things he does in an Albion shirt, but it's the 5% that give me absolute kittens. He it, he just makes some ridiculous decisions. Well, he seems to make one ridiculous decision per game and he seems to have one horrible error in him per game. And it doesn't particularly surprise me that we didn't have that moment at all against Millwall when he was not on the pitch. So I think there's a lot to be... Uh, Corbram builds from the back, doesn't he, Pete? And he starts with get it right defensively, stop conceding goals. Well, other than two worldies against Watford, he's largely done that in the last three games since he totally called out our leakiness after the after uh, after the um, H- uh, Huddersfield game. I think 
that's a real platform for us to build on. I think, again, I think it's something that we should really be looking at as a huge positive, because if the only way that we're going to get scored against is from open play is world-class finishes, which is what it's taken in the last three games, then I'm okay with that. Are you? Yeah, you'd probably rather see over a small sample. Probably rather see us concede a couple of goals from long range with low XG values than than watch Palmer make like massive saves, like three one on ones a game or something. Where, but not concede any of them. Because um, when you consider that over the season, if you if you're leaking those big chances three a game, then you can't expect your keeper to save you every single time. More times than not, they'll probably concede. Whereas no, although couple... although to be fair, Pete, he seem he seems to have one high XG uh, or or one high post shot expected goal saving him every game. A bit like Kipre's got that one big mistake in him. Palmer seems to have that one uh, one save where he completely defies the post shot expected goals in him per game as well. Yeah, and that's just brilliant on on his um, side of things. If he's denying the high post shot expected goal things shots, it's not. It's not as if a lot of those shots are well, actually, a couple, not not like they're really high xG, which comes from the the defense. Um, so yeah, you'd rather the defense be solid, um, and maybe Palmer concede a really good long range one every now and again, rather than the defense being leaky and Palmer trying to get you out of trouble every single time. Um, so yeah, I think the clean sheets are obviously promising, and the way that they came about is is promising as well. And I don't think it's too many negatives to take from the defensive side of things against Watford. Obviously, they had they had a couple of chances, and that one that he, that Palmer tips onto the bar was a brilliant save. And we probably should have done a bit better um, defensively and not allowed them to get that, that header in there. But um, on the whole, I think the three. It's games an unreal really... save, though, isn't it? I mean, how does he get the strength in his hand to tip it onto the bar? Yeah, I think he was even a bit surprised after it as well. The way he looked back and saw saw that it hit the crossbar and not dropped into the net. Um, yeah, it was a brilliant save, and well, like you say, he seems to be producing a couple of them, what at least one of them a game at the minute. So um, hopefully that can continue. And it's just those near near post ones that he seems to be struggling with. But yeah, I mean, we've not seen one of them in a couple of games, so don't want to jinx it. Um, but yeah, defensively, I think we were we were pretty good over the the past three games. What do you make? I mean, look, everybody's everybody's probably sick to death of my take on Kipre, not least because I can't make my make my blooming mind up about him, Pete. Because, like I say, he's I just he's like he's like a human swingometer for me. Like, and I, I I I think there's time. I mean, that one challenge he made against Watford, where he absolutely crunched the guy, was just a throwback. It was beautiful. Like you just don't see challenges like that, especially not in the penalty area. It was brilliant. But then, as I say, he's he's played that one pass out, and I mean they've made a pig's ear of it. They should score really, and it's like that moment happens every game, and then. Against Millwall, okay, we 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 maybe haven't got we haven't got that dynamic centre half who can drive out uh, from from the back, but you know you look at you look at the data and Peters is just rock solid, uh, Townsend is rock solid, Ajayi has a really 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 good game, um, and uh, again his long passing is just. It's just really good, and Bartley. I mean, okay, we've we've had we've had the nightmare for the for the penalty, but you know, it it is what it is. But I mean, he aerial duels won 
I think he's won 10 aerial duels in that game, seven clearances during the course of the 90 minutes. I mean, compl- his numbers completely dwarfed everybody else's. And for a game like that, there's nobody better than Carl Bartley. And I thought, you know, look, he do- he he does what he does. Um, and you you can't go around asking Carl Bartley to be... Um, uh, to be, you know, Rio Ferdinand or anything like that and and start playing like he's a central midfielder because it's never, ever going to happen. But I tell you what, when you leave Carl Bartley to do what Carl Bartley does, I genuinely, I don't think there's, I don't think there's many better in the division. Probably one of the only ones who's better at it than him it was, was, was a guy at the other end of the field uh, on Saturday, which is probably Jake Cooper. But I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what, I, I don't know what you think, Pete, but I, I can't make my mind up because I I look at the benefits of having Cedric Kipre in the team and they're obvious and they're there. But then I can't help looking at Saturday and thinking not having him in there takes away those heart in the mouth moments. You're not, you're not anywhere near as nervous watching our back four as you would be if Kipre was in there. Just give me your thoughts because literally I could sit here and make the case, um, the, the case for the prosecution, the case for the defence, and we absolutely wouldn't get anywhere because I think they're both compelling. Yeah, I think I really like him. Um, not another defender that can carry the ball out as calmly as he does or, or pass it out. Um, he seems to just see space that and drive into it that other defenders probably wouldn't. And he, yeah, he just seems to be. A lot of the, well, some of the time he seems to be really aware of what's going on and where he can drive into and where, where he can pick these passes. But then, obviously, he does have these moments where he seems to just not even know that he's on a football pitch and um, just makes these horrible passes or um, tackles or, yeah. But I think on the whole, he, he's definitely a, a positive. Um, without him, I think we struggle to, to get the ball out as much. And again, it might be linked to why Townsend started against Millwall is if Kipro was going to get a rest because um, he's so important to moving the ball forwards and without Kipro we lost a, a big aspect of that and then uh, at times as well he can defend really well he's very proactive with his defending and, and gets out and, and makes the challenges um, a lot of the time rather than waiting for it to come to him and then giving them a chance to to have a bit of space um, so yeah I think I think he's probably one of our our most important defenders and I can definitely see now why Corbran persisted with him um, despite at the start of the season thinking why on earth is, is he playing um, he seems to have a howler in him every week and, and give the ball away far too cheaply and doesn't bring enough to the team to, to kind of um, make up for that but I think the mistakes have kind of dwindled a little bit, he's still making a few but I think yeah, what he, what he brings to the team in terms of when we've got the ball um, is massive Still scares the heck out of me though, Pete. Oh yeah, I think he does everyone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back to Palmer, just quickly, Pete, and the penalty. I've had a look at the post-shot expected goals. Obviously, it's always going to be high for a penalty, but 0.99. It's not a terrible penalty, is it? It's just a brilliant save. I think they put 0.99 for all the penalties, to be honest. But um, Oh, fair play. It was a brilliant save. You can't take that away from him. I think, I mean, almost any penalty save is going to be counted as a brilliant save, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I think um, if I'll give you an example of one where I would suggest it maybe wasn't. Um, Ishmael Asav uh, from on David Button last season. That's got that's got to be up there with one of the worst penalties I think I've ever seen. I can't remember it now. Did it? He basically passed it to him. Um, it, it was it was after he'd scored from the halfway line. Ah, uh, yeah, but. I... I think if I remember right, David Button had quite a good record with penalties. I mean, well, I only he... person to save one from John Swift, mate. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, but I think on the whole, he actually had quite a good record, just not a good record for Albion from any other type of shot. Bless him. He's got. He's got to be good. He's got to be good at something. But I'm not going to start on Button again because uh, I, I had. I, I was uh, chatting to somebody about the, the about the, the the podcast. Somebody who isn't an Albion fan, and I wouldn't expect to listen to it regularly by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this was during the week, and um, the, the the first thing what they said to me when I mentioned the pod was like, um, "Yeah, I've heard a bit of it." You don't like David Button much, do you? So I'm, I'm glad that's literally just permeating society. That that this that Albion analysis is about Chris's problem with uh, with David Button. So uh, now that he's gone off to Reading, I really don't want to really don't want to sort of drag that one out too much. But um, anyway, moving uh, moving swiftly on. Um, Right, Pete. Normally, the running order com- uh, comes from me, but uh, I'll, I'll give I'll give you the I'll give you the, the discussion the, the the next discussion point. What would you rather talk about? Um, Brandon Thomas Asante, um, uh, Alex Mowat, or um, the introduction of Dean Garner and Sarmiento? What which which one of those are you most keen to discuss? Uh, Shall we get the um, well, not the negative, but probably the worst one out of the way of Brandon Thomas Asante? Yeah, and uh, and you're right. I mean, there is there is a degree of negativity about it. Although I have to say, part of what I'm going to say is going to stick up for Brandon a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's start with Brandon. The reality is, in my opinion, if if we had a naturalized number nine, a naturalized finisher, we would probably be sat here with nine points, not three, from the last three games. I I I I really. I really do believe that, um, and but that's not. Uh, uh, make it clear that is not me having a go at Brandon Thomas Asante. I think the guy is doing a job for us at the moment. I don't think he was ever brought in to lead the line. Um, I mean, not that not that Steve Bruce necessarily seemed to have a, have much of a plan for anybody that he brought in. He just seemed to bring players in and then work out what to do with them later, or not, as as the case may be, which is largely why he didn't last very long. But I don't think the, uh, I don't think the expectation when you pay three hundred thousand pounds from a guy from League Two a year ago, who is as young as Brandon is as well, that you think, oh, this is the guy that is going to be the guy to play up front on his own and lead the line and score the goals which will fire us to wherever we need to get to 
I think if you think that, I think you, you first of all you you're being horribly unfair on Brandon Thomas Asante. I think you've got massively unrealistic expectations of what you can expect from a guy for three hundred thousand pounds from from League Two. And I also don't think you've paid much attention to Brandon's career because he's never he's never been that guy. He's never been that lone out and out striker. And I I just don't think it suits him. I think what's interesting with with Brandon is you look at his post shot expected goals and especially against Watford, he went through and he had that one on one chance. But he also had the snapshot, which uh, Backman turned over absolutely brilliantly. His post-shot expected goals is better from the snapshot than it is from the one-on-one, and I think that what what that I think generally speaking, there's a point about Brandon here that it, he is better when he doesn't have time to think about it because his I, I don't know is he's necessarily got those number nine instincts. It was interesting Corbrand's quotes after the game. He got asked about Brandon missing the one-on-one, and he, and he he basically said that Brandon that they that they did work before the game with the Albion goalkeeping coach works with the strikers to try and show them what the um what the opposition goalkeeper is likely to do in scenarios and he he said we told Brandon that he was going to do that and basically that Brandon should have done something other than what he did do because uh, because he he'd been told by the goalkeeper coach which is fine if, and uh, I was chat. Uh, I was chatting to somebody in in the week, and uh, um, and and they they were talking about players that I'd worked with, and I said, uh, I, I said Kevin Phillips was one that that um, that always seemed to manage to just slow the game down in those moments for himself, like like he would he would just sort of like capture his breathing and uh, and uh, and uh, like time would slow and it would give him more time to think about what he was about to do i think for brandon time starts going quicker uh, and i just think i just think that's you know some some people are natural finishers in those scenarios and some aren't and i think some people are, are calm in those situations and some aren't and brandon might get there in time but i think at the moment time goes quicker for brandon in those moments and i think he i think he panics corbran is clearly trying to work with him that's why he's got the goalkeeper coach working with him can he get him can he get him there that's so hard to know because it's not going to be for the want of trying i think we can i think we can be sure of that but i i think it's just it it's difficult because i think i think the vast majority of being a good striker especially when you've got most of the physical attributes which brandon has is can you achieve the mentality of being a striker and that mentality is being cool, icy cold in those moments where you need to be icy cold. And can Brandon achieve that? No, that is so hard to know because that needs that needs somebody to climb inside of his head and find out whether he has got that mentality. He can strike a ball. And I actually think his instincts of striking a football, as we saw against Watford with that with that one opportunity, are absolutely brilliant. But I think the chances where it very much dawns on Brandon that this is a big chance, I think he, I think he rushes. I think his mind goes too quick, and I, and I, and I think he's thinking so quickly that I don't think there's thoughts necessarily going on there. And I think that's just panic. I think that's panic from possibly from being inexperienced or possibly just not being 
the guy who can do that. We don't know. But it's not a it's not a criticism of him because he's doing everything he can to be the best that he can. He's clearly working with the coaches. He's trying to take on board the information. It's just, look, we've we've all been put into high pressure situations. And uh, you see it all the time with people on like game shows where they get asked the most basic, simple question that probably an eight year old could answer. And suddenly all the thoughts go out of their head. It's exactly the same concept. You can't blame the guy. And I think anybody having a go at Brandon needs to take a look at themselves because purely the problem with Brandon at the moment, because we know the ability is there. The problem with Brandon at the moment in those situations is how does he cope with pressure? But the other side of the coin, Pete, is... At the moment, he is still he is out he, he's he's outscored his xG for the season. So uh, I know that's because he ran hot in the in the first few games and basically scored goals from next to zero xG. But nonetheless, over the course of the season, he has scored more goals than the data would say he's expected to. I think he's got an xG of one point four and he scored two goals. So. You know, the, there's uh, there's that. I mean, the chances he's missed in the last week, the two chances missed, both had an XG value of 0.2. So they're not sitters. Um, and there was a lot of people between him and him and the goal on Saturday uh, as he as he had to take that header. It's not an easy chance. It's not. Uh, some people have made it out to be an absolute howler of a miss. I honestly don't believe that that it is. So. Where I'm at with Brandon, other than the fact that he brings a lot more to the game, and we can cover that in a second, is that I think he's not a naturalised nine. And I think that is a problem for him um, because he gets put into situations where you it, it, it needs that cold mental state of a nine, the sort of thing that we used to see from Kevin Phillips in an Albion shirt. And that's not it's not about physical ability. It's not about technical ability. It's about mentality. Can he develop that? We remain to be seen. But uh, but first of all, don't have a go at anybody having a go. Don't have a go at a guy who's trying his best just because he panics in pressure situations. And second, uh, and second of all, recognize the fact that whilst he's missing chances at the moment, he was scoring goals from situations which he shouldn't be scoring from earlier in the season. So it, 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 there's also a little bit of natural variance working itself out here, Pete. Yeah, all the scoring goals from situations that you probably shouldn't be in. There's a punching one in against Leeds, but um, I think, um, yeah, you say finishing, being able to be calm in those situations and and finishing chances is like the biggest, most important attribute for a striker. But I'd probably argue that it's actually getting the chances to start off with that's more important rather than actually being able to finish them, um, because if you can consistently get get big chances throughout games for the whole season even if he doesn't finish at a great rate then he's still going to score goals better than um, maybe a striker that's really good at finishing but just can't seem to find any chances Um, so I think there's positives in the fact that he is getting chances even if he's not finishing them well Um, over his whole career he's underperformed his XG and hasn't been a good finisher so I can't imagine that's going to change this season but yeah even just through the way that he does find those chances and, and get into good positions, um, he'll score goals. I don't think he'd be our first choice striker for the whole season if if all three of our strikers were fit. Um, Do you think he can score enough goals uh, for uh, for us to achieve something reasonable, uh, or 
and, and without somebody without somebody having from midfield and possibly John Swift is showing signs that he could do this but if somebody from midfield obviously gets 10 or 15 then that takes a lot of the weight off Brandon but if that doesn't happen do you think Brandon can score enough goals for us to let's be fair I think what, what the ambition is not necessarily to make the playoffs but to be in and around challenging for the playoffs. I think that that's probably where we would like to be in that conversation come the sort of come the come Easter really. Do you think Brandon over the course of a season can score enough goals for us to do that if one of the midfielders doesn't weigh in with quite a reasonably substantial amount? I think if he was to play every game and he could stay fit and, and do that and wouldn't have any other strikers then I think he probably I think he probably would over a season. Um, because he does get a lot of chances and not only because he scores goals but he also quite often creates chances for other players so you would expect Swift to get chances and score goals and the same for for Wallace and um, probably Matt Phillips and, and Sarmiento as well so maybe not just through his goal scoring but because I think he's he's quite well-rounded in terms of being able to create chances for other people as well um, I think if he played a whole season um, every minute I could stay, could be like fully fit for every single game and not be tired, um, which is obviously impossible. But I think if he did that, he, I think he'd get at least fifteen, maybe maybe twenty goals a season. To be honest, so I think I think he will score goals. And but do you also think if one or two of those one on ones just start going in, that uh, you know I talk about it being a mentality thing. Do you think there's a possibility that? his mentality just switches to total belief and he does calm down in those situations because I honestly, and I honestly stand by this point, Pete, I don't think, I don't think it's a technique issue with Brandon. I think he's got, I think he's got the technical ability to do what he wants to do in those situations. I honestly just believe he panics. And I think, I do wonder if, if, if one or two in a week, which can happen in the championship, one or two of those chances go in the back of the net, whether we see, a much cooler, calmer, more clinical Brandon Thomas Asante in one-on-one situations. Yeah, I think they will. They're probably going in batches um, because of the, that confidence. And I mean, with strikers, even if you you're finishing at an average rate, you quite often look like a poor finisher just because people naturally expect think chances are probably easier than they are. I mean, if you look at the expected goals value for one, one of the one-on-ones, it's probably going to be close to something like 0.3. In which case, you've only got to They score were both one. 0.2. 0.2. So he's got to score one in five of them to be an average finisher. Whereas I think if you asked most supporters, they'd probably put a higher value on it and, and expect to score more than one in five of them to be average. Um, so I think it's it's probably maybe harder to, to finish than a lot of people expect. And then you get maybe unrealistic expectations on him. Again, over his whole career, he's, he's underperformed it. So he's not a good finisher. But yeah, maybe maybe needs to be have a bit more slack than needs given. And I mean, it's always to remember that what we signed him for two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. I think he was signed as a we got him on a good deal. I think that was kind of the the feeling of the signing. We we got DK. I don't think he was ever brought in to be the first team player, but to be just because it was a good deal and and we needed a striker. Um, and it's proved to be a good deal because if we if we'd offloaded into to Stoke in the summer, we'd have got what something like ten times that. So. And that's just in a season. So I think 
Well, I think uh, it, the rumours were we were pushing on towards five mil was it was the offer. And and as you say, Pete, you, you look at you look at the data of what else he does, especially especially his progressive carries, and you see the winger in him, and you realise that whilst his finishing isn't amazing. As, as you say, one, he's getting in the positions, but two, he does so much else for the team and creates opportunities for other uh, for other players. I mean, his part in the in the Wallace goal, for example, um, uh, against against Watford is 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 a, is a case in point. Yeah, and I, I think he's doing doing a good job, or as good a job as he can. He's been he's decent in the air. He's probably better in the air when he's got his back to a player and the, his back to goal rather than having balls into the box. Um, but you know, he battles for those long balls quite well and, and usually gives the centre-back quite a hard time, even though a lot of the time they're twice the size of him. So he's kind of got that, that almost scrappiness about him as well that, that makes him a bit of a nuisance up there on his own. Um, obviously, it's very hard to lead the line on your own and um, quite often he, he looks isolated and maybe doesn't have enough people around him. But I think I think he's done a decent job so far this season and if he can add a goal or two more to his tally in the next game or so, then then I think he's going to be looking like he's, he's having a very good season. I think that's kind of all that's missing at the minute. Do you also think it's fair when when I say, because this is my opinion, obviously it doesn't have to necessarily be your opinion as well, because I, I, he's getting he's getting a bit of, bit of stick on Twitter. I think it's bang out of order to um, be critical of a guy who quite clearly is doing everything he can to be the best he can. And... Okay, he's having a little bit of trouble calming him down himself down in those in those situations. But I mean, you know, would you would you have a go at somebody in any other industry who panics a little bit under pressure? Would you would you think that the solution to that problem is to is to slaughter them? Because if it, if anything, if that is his problem, and I'm I'm guessing here because I've got I you know I haven't got the pages of psychological reports on Brandon Thomas Asante, but it just it just looks that way. But when you look how technically good he can be in situations where he really doesn't have to think about the finish, I I think it I do think it's a it's a mentality issue, and I don't think the way to solve that mentality issue is to get on Brandon's back because if anything, what that does is it puts more pressure on the guy to finish the next one because he's like, oh God, if I miss this, the fans are going to be all over me. And it's it's not the majority of the fans. There certainly wasn't anything in the in the um in the in the crowd. But on social media, and players do read social media, I can't say this enough. On social media it, the minority is stu- uh, that that vocal minority of Albion fans, the, the the guys who were calling for Corbrand's head a couple of weeks ago, have now turned their attention to Brandon Thomas Asante. And if they want him to score these opportunities, I don't think what they're doing is actually help. It, it, is it, I think they're I think they're actually voting against themselves here because what what they're doing is counterintuitive. I think it will actually place more pressure on Brandon than it would. I think the best thing for Brandon at the moment is for people to say to him look don't worry about missing chances Brandon the important thing is that you're getting in there and it will come it will come you just you know uh, just need to keep getting in there and the goals will come if somebody keeps reiterating that message to him I think he'll be absolutely fine I think if people start getting on his back I think the kid could crumble what do you think yeah I mean it's definitely not going to help especially if it is the pressure that's it's making him maybe overthink it and, and not score. Um, so any added pressure can't help. And well, well, he can only do his best, really, can't he? He's 
I mean, we signed him for £250,000. He wasn't signed to be probably our, our starting striker. And he's, well, like you say, he's doing the best he can. He's, he's getting chances. Um, he just needs to put a couple more away. It's, and he's, he's doing a lot of other things well. I can't really see any other reason, any other thing that you'd want to do other than actually support him, especially as a fan of the club. I mean, you'd think you'd want him to, to do the best he can and slating him on social media. I wouldn't say would be probably any any benefit to him and probably not going to see any improved performances because of it, are you? Absolutely not. Uh, and like I say, I'm I'm at pains to uh, to emphasise it is it's a minority of fans, but then it's always the vocal minority that make the most noise. One player they certainly won't be making any negative noise about, and they should be absolutely banging the drum about um, after his performance against Millwall is Alex Mower. Pete, absolutely tremendous, wasn't he? I mean, you look at he made the he made the most carries of any Albion player, um, which was uh, which was forty. Um, he uh, sorry forty six, I should say forty six carries uh, carries of the ball, which is absolutely brilliant and not something we generally see from our from our midfielders because we don't we don't really have ball carriers dribblers in in our midfield, but Alex Moat brought that to us. And just his general all-round all play, he uh, he and Malumbi won the midfield battle, which is which was a big, big part of why we were so dominant in that second half. Jason Malumbi and Alex Mowat between them won a hundred percent of the tackles they went into, and uh, and we won the ball back in good areas against Millwall, which really helped us get uh, get on the uh, on the front foot. He, of course, was horribly unlucky to not get a goal after a tremendous free kick which thumped back off the, off the bar I mean it's been a little bit of time coming with, with Alex Moat because I think people have been wondering why has Chalaba been, been getting the sub appearances ahead of ahead of Moat especially after Corbrand said so many positive things about Moat in pre-season well he's had his opportunity and whenever a player gets their opportunity all you really want to see from them is that they grab it with both hands my goodness me has he done that and i would suggest pete and i don't think i didn't think i'd be saying this certainly at the start of the season but even a few weeks ago i i think okay koslu's got to be looking over his shoulder a little bit because it, it it's just I love OK, and he was tremendous last season. But the fact of the matter is, he has not been the same player since this season began. And if Alex Mowat is going to come in and turn in performances like that, he's going to be blooming hard to leave out, isn't he? Yeah, he was um, very good on the ball, which I think you kind of expect, just kind of spraying the ball around and, you know, completing passes. I think I think he had a pass accuracy of about 80%, but I think that would have been a lot higher if you didn't consider all the, the free kicks and crosses that you put in that are just... You know, most of them aren't going to come off, but if they do, you you probably score a goal. So, um, but yeah, moved the ball around really well, and um, also sh- showed why um, Ishmael probably liked him so much in his defensive side of things. I think he won two tackles in the opposition half and made one interception. So, when we're pressing high as well, he's he's really good at winning the ball back. There's one time I remember specifically in the second half where he, he seemed to just I can't remember who he, he won it off, but they looked like they were going to turn out of it and then he, he just kept hassling them and, and won the ball back and then played it forward afterwards as well. So I think it's just kind of general game um, was really good. There wasn't much that you could put on him that was that was poor. So I thought he had a really good game and took his chance there. Um, the thing is that he's very different than Yakuzhalu. I think Moe probably moves the ball around a bit better, but 
if you want a midfielder that is going to sit for most of the game, then you could do better. If you want a midfielder that's going to win the ball back higher up the pitch, then you probably go for Moa. The other thing with Yukujlu is he's very confident receiving the ball off the, the centre-backs, even with pressure on him. Maybe sometimes too confident. He'll very often look to turn, whereas Moa seems to, unless he knows he's, he's got time to turn, will just play it back to the centre-back. So... Are we back to the horses for courses thing here, again here, here, Pete? That we're we're, we're effect- I mean, again, it's, I keep I keep coming back to this and saying there's positives. There really is positives at this moment. And again, I think we've got that. We we've we 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 we're, what we're sitting here and we're saying is that if we're going to go into a game where we're probably not going to see a lot of the ball, then maybe okay, you cost lose your man. But in games like. Saturday, where we probably expect Millwall to sit off us a little bit and let us have the majority of the ball. And interesting that that, that actually we've we've had the majority of the ball in four of the last uh, four of our last five games. Which, given that we didn't have the majority of the ball in any of the last six games of last season, is a little bit of a little bit of a turnaround. But what we're saying really is that Corbran can pick teams for the for the scenario whether it's the fullbacks based upon who we're playing, whether it's the two centre mids based upon uh, uh, who we're playing, the sort of supporting attackers, which we'll come on to in a minute. Really, the only, the only, uh, and even at centre half, where he's changed it up to put uh, to put a uh, Bartley at the back and have and have that the, you know that proper box defender in there instead of in, instead of Kipre for a game. We've really, we really have got very different options to pick based upon who we're playing everywhere except the nine, haven't we? And which is the only place where we just we cannot change it. We we just can't alter it at all. Yeah, that's it. I think Yukushlu and Mo are both very good players for this this level, but they offer different things. So it's more about which game suits who and. Which player brings the most balance to the team with the other players that you want to select? Um, I don't know if taking Kipre, resting Kipre and um, bringing Bartley in maybe helped make the decision to maybe it came Bartley and Moat came hand in hand because you're taking out Yukushlu, who's very good in the air and midfield, and replacing him with Moat, who isn't as good despite winning both of his headers, his aerial duels um, against Millwall. We're taking out Yukushlu's aerial presence and bringing in Bartley, so and taking out maybe Kipre's ability on the ball and and replacing that with Moat's ability on the ball. So I don't know if it's maybe something that came hand in hand or or maybe it's just a change of. Obviously, we wanted to rest players, but I don't know if, like you say, the possession seems to be heading in the direction of us controlling games rather than the opposition. So I don't know if maybe we're we're changing the style a little bit and trying to keep the ball a bit more rather than just attacking through. Counterattacks, and and that might mean that we see a bit more of Alex Moat. Well, that's it. Because if he just wanted to rest players, Pete, the the more obvious thing to do would have been to rest players for the midweek game, wouldn't it? But he's obviously decided that Moat and Bartley and Sarmiento and Dean Garner are better suited to and Townsend are better suited to Millwall at home rather than Watford away. It it, it seems very. It seems very clinical, very, very calculated by by Corbran. It's not. It's not just we've got three games in a week, so I've got to rotate the players. So you know, I'll play, I'll, I'll play my my best team uh, uh, on the Saturday, and then I'll leave a couple out and put uh, and put a couple in 
on uh, on the Wednesday night and then I'll go back to the team that played the week before on the Saturday. He's he's looked at the opposition and he's gone which team will be best for which game. Yeah, it's not even as if we had a an easy game as one of the two games. The starting eleven that's played the most this season was the one against Watford, obviously. And I mean if you go by the league table, which in fairness is probably a bit early to do, but after only eight games, Watford are we're in sixteenth now and at the time of recording and Millwall are in 11th. So you'd say that the Saturday game against Millwall was actually the, the more difficult game. And, and that was the side that we, you could say that we put out the weakened side, which, I mean, it's probably not weakened, weakened but it's a team that's played less this season. And we're probably going to come to probably going to come to the same conclusion as we have talking about the other selection things, uh, Pete. But I, I want to talk about um, Sarmiento and Dean Garner coming in for Swift and Wallace. And it was it was interesting, really, to to see those two come in. I mean, Wallace has come in for a lot of stick, but then he scores a brilliant goal against Watford, and you think, and you think, oh, maybe Corbran won't leave him out on on the weekend, but. Corbran just does he doesn't care about those things does he it's not it's not about what you did on Wednesday night it's about how well you fit into my plans for for Saturday and he he honestly believed that having two uh more um ball carrying tricky players against Millwall was going to benefit us more than than having two guys who maybe don't quite have the the, the level of threat to go past people on the ball. They have different kinds of threats, Wallace and Swift, but they probably don't have that, that kind of certainly have that level of technical ability to beat a man. And that turn, that real electric turn of pace that Sarmiento and Dean Garner have. Now, I think it's fair to say most Albion fans were really, really excited to see Sarmiento for 90 minutes. And, uh, certainly I was amongst them and I have to say he was he he was a joy to watch at times that some of the things he can do you think he's definitely lost the ball and then he he just comes out of it with with the ball I he's I mean when he matures a little bit he is going to be something absolutely frightening that being said he what are the reason I've caveated it with when he matures a little bit is he does make some he does make some poor decisions and as I say, people out of the duo that came in were probably more excited about Sarmiento. But Pete, for me, the one was uh, was Grady Dean Garner. Now, um, one uh, one of the one of the Albion accounts, uh, as uh, as he always does, uh, put up a vote for man the match. I didn't vote because I honestly don't. I, I don't really know how you pick. I thought there was three. To be honest, I don't really know how you pick between. Um, Townsend, Mowat, and Dean Garner for, for for man the match because I thought all three of them were absolutely phenomenal. Dean Garner was just he had he had almost like a nightmare ten minutes at the start where he got he got shoved off the ball a couple of times and he looked too weak, just too weak. And there was one where he 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 went for it and it was a real opportunity and uh, and. And the 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 Millwall defender just basically brushed in front of him, and it didn't seem to take that much effort to push Dean Garner off the ball. And it was like Dean Garner picked himself off off the floor, and it, it was almost like he gave himself a talking to in that moment because from that point on he was unbelievable. 
I mean, six progressive carries, which was which was the most. Twice as many as, as Sarmiento, by the way. I'd like to point that out. Ten take-ons, of which five were successful. But I'm not going to blame a player for only having a 50% uh, ratio on that. What, what I like is taking your man on as much as Grady was. Ten times is 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 brilliant. He just drove us forward. He was a constant threat. And I was not surprised when the substitutions came that it was Sarmiento who was withdrawn and that Grady Dean Garner was left left on. We could have had a real opportunity at the end as well if the referee had given what was a blatant foul on Grady Dean Garner. But I, 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 I mean, I'm not going to get carried away. I'm not going to get carried away because we've had too many false dawns with Grady Dean Garner that we've said, Grady's back. Great. I remember Hudders, uh, sorry, Hull at home last season. We, we sat here saying uh, Grady Dean Garner is unplayable when he's on his game. I think, I think, in fact, I think I entitled the pod the best player in the division, which was highly premature because we, it, it it just it was a false dawn it was a false dawn and as i say we've been here before so i'm not going to get carried away but purely on this one performance pete that's the grady we need to see that's the grady we need to see week in week out and i thought the position worked for him brilliantly it gave him loads of freedom but allowed him to get width when he wanted to but allowed him to drift into the 10 when 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 he when he wanted to as well he could just basically find pockets of space wherever wherever he wherever he wanted on the pitch but because of the because of the five back and having moat in midfield who's a really good passer of the ball and because of the five back he had he had players out wide like phillips finding him but then he's got Moa in midfield finding him he's got Brandon to play off up front I think the personnel as well worked and it was like a perfect storm for Grady now whether he can play that well with others remains to be seen whether he can if he could play that well in a slightly different shape and what we what we play usually with Swift and Wallace in those positions is a different shape to that so whether Grady can adapt if 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 they if it's not playing with Sarmiento and him either side of Brandon Thomas Asante remains to be seen but I think the signs are so so positive and I just Grady does seem to be a confidence player and I really hope that Grady just looks back at that game on Saturday and also maybe looks at the tape and just goes, yeah, I'm back. You know, that's, that's, that's the me that's the, and I'm not going to accept any less than that because, and also maybe, maybe looks at that first 10 minutes where he was too weak and he did get brushed off the ball and he did let himself down a little bit and say, I'm not prepared to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy from the other 80 minutes the guy that dominated the game, the guy that was probably over that 80 minutes, probably the best player on the park. Moat runs in blooming close, by the way, but probably the best player on the park for 10 minutes, waste of space, weak, and just, you know, giving the ball to him was pointless because it was it was going to be a turnover in possession. And then he dusted himself down and he dominated that football match. And Grady Dean Garner can dominate games in this division. And whatever his motivation needs to be, I don't care. If his motivation is doing the best for West Bromwich Albion, for pulling on the shirt, great. If his motivation is the Premier League clubs didn't come knocking in the summer and I want them to come knocking in January, great, fine, I don't care. It, you know, if, if Grady has a phenomenal time with us all the way up to January and somebody comes and gives us seven, eight, nine million, Grady goes with all of my best wishes 
because he's done what what we asked of him. He's he, you know he's contributed. He's he's finally started to live up to the expectation, and also it'll drive his price up as well because. At the moment, if we sell Grady, we get nowhere near what he's what he should be worth and what we paid for him. I just look at, like I say, eighty minutes of that game, and that's the Grady Dean Garner we need to see week in, week out. Yeah, he was um, he was uh, brilliant, and yeah, back to looking like what what his best was. Um, I think again, along, along with a lot of the players, the only thing missing was a goal or an assist to top it off. Um, you know he. Attempted eleven dribbles, six successful, um, at fifty-five percent. That's that's pretty good going. Um, and yeah, looked kind of com- well, looked confident, especially um, in the second half. And um, yeah, and I think everyone knows that when he's um, when he's high in confidence and, and he's in form, then he's then he is one of the best players in the division. It's just we haven't seen that enough, and for long enough periods after he signed permanently. Hopefully this season he'll get a few, few more chances and kind of start to to bring that form back. And if he does, then then brilliant. And like you say, even if that does just come with us selling him for a, a bit of cash, then then that's fine with me. Um, obviously need the money, and if he can put in some good performances between now and January, then he's bound to add a bit of value to to um, any transfer fee. So well, if he plays like that every week as well, Pete, it's fair to say he's a Premier League footballer, isn't he? I mean, and Premier League clubs will want him. Yeah, I think when he's at his best, he, he definitely is. Um, and the one thing that he seemed to have added since that loan season was his, um, a few a few goals to his game. Um, so if he can play like he did in his loan season with the, the goals that he's added to his game since then as well, then I think there'll be a few clubs come looking at him. Um, so, which is... I mean, obviously, it wouldn't wouldn't be good for to lose him, but if we can generate a bit of cash, and you know, we're we're very desperate for it at the minute, so that can only be considered a good thing. With the changeover, with uh, Dean Garner and Sarmiento coming in for Swift and Wallace, what do you make of that? I mean, a, a, a probably probably the same conversation we've had we've we've had a, two or three times already on the, on this pod. Um, horses for courses, I, I imagine, is is your thinking. And also, what what did you what did you make of Sarmiento? Because for me, I love watching him, and I, I thought there was times when he when he he lit things up. But equally, and you know, I'm I'm not getting down on him because I believe that the that the pro, uh, the end product will come. I think he's just a little bit raw at the moment. But where where I felt there was end product with what Grady was doing, I I felt Sarmiento would do amazing things and then maybe just hold onto the ball a touch too long or run down run down a little bit of a blind alley. I think I I think he's just he, he, I think he's another one who probably just needs to go and watch the tape a little bit and and think, you know, I do some amazing things, but I could definitely do more with the ball. Maybe if I just release it a touch earlier, maybe if um maybe maybe if I just think a little bit harder about what the next thing that I'm going to do is understand the goals of the team as opposed to to my goals a little bit um I I mean I but but honestly I don't I don't think there is anybody else and I mean maybe maybe just maybe possibly leads with um uh, with with uh, with people like Nonto in the side but even them I don't think they I don't think there's anybody in this division who's got two players who on their day can be as absolutely terrifying 
as Sarmiento and Dean Garner can be to to opposition. Do you think it's just an, another matter of Corbran has to pick his games for them? Yeah, and I think Sarmiento is probably more suited to to later on in games when he has been used um, when there's generally more space because I'm not convinced yet on his actual dribbling ability. He seems to be very heavy in his touches when he, he's carrying the ball and which kind of suits when the, the game's more open and there's more space to carry in, in too quickly. Um, but when you've got lots of players defending a little space, you need to have little touches to kind of get around them like Grady does rather than having these big touches where he looks like he sometimes it's too big of a touch and then he can't really do what he wants to do with it after he's got back to the ball. Um, so I think there's a few things just to sharpen up there for him. And like you say, his decision-making and when he wants to release the ball is the other thing. So I think of the two of them, Grady probably looked benefited most from getting his opportunity than um, more than Sarmiento. But I don't think you can really doubt the, the actual quality of Sarmiento and how threatening he can be and can look. Um, so it's, it might be a case of, you know, he's only had one start, so it's it's tough to ask him to put in a, a brilliant performance on that one start. He might need a, a little run of the games to actually show what he what he can do rather than just being expected to, to put in a a nine out of ten performance on, on one start. Um so maybe it's a little bit unfair. But again, there was positives from his performance, but you can also probably see why Corbrand's not been starting him, despite the calls for him to. And inevitably, those there will be those calls again. But you know, you look at our upcoming fixtures, Pete, and and you know, Preston away, who've started absolutely brilliantly, followed by Sheffield Wednesday um, at home, who are having a mare. And it just seems to it just seems to actually jump off the page a little bit that you maybe go go to Deepdale a little bit more solid, and then you unleash the attacking talent of the likes of Dean Garner and Sarmiento against uh, against a slightly beleaguered Sheffield Wednesday, don't you? Yeah, maybe. Um, but then, I mean, the other thing is you you want to get Jed Wallace's confidence back up because he's he's not at the best of times. He obviously got his goal against Watford, um, which was well taken and um, good to see that he's finally well. He's got a goal contribution, um, so you can't you want him to get get back to his his best form. I don't think it's, it's helped. I think he's playing a slightly different role this season, and and that's probably impacted it a lot. But if he can get a, another goal or an assist or two, then you probably expect that to to help him in the future as well, just to get his confidence up. So um, maybe that'll be easier against a slightly weaker side. But then again, maybe you want to you give Grady and uh, Sarmiento a bit more game time and give them the, the the platform to show what they can do if they they get another start and and get a bit of confidence under them. So I think you probably Corbin probably will go back to to Wallace and Swift as the two, um, just because they seem to be able to he seems to be able to rely on them a little bit more. And they've got that bit more um, experience, and has, well, Swift has started the season really well. Well, it's not so much, but again, it's it's that kind of reliability. And then you can always bring on Grady and, and Sarmiento later on. And then, yeah, you're, you're probably right. You probably do give them the the other more game time in the other game after after that to to give them their chance to to stake a claim for the the starting spot. Last thing I want to talk about today, Pete, um, and it's you know not to do not to do with West Bromwich Albion specifically, but I thought the officiating against Millwall was appalling. Um, I, I've left this to the end because I, I I don't 
I don't like talking about officials. First of all, especially when you've not won a game, it feels like an excuse. And I'm I, the the reason we didn't we we didn't beat Millwall is because we didn't we didn't take our chances. It's nothing to do with the nothing to do with the referee. But uh, but I did think the officiating was appalling. And and I've noticed something of a something of a trend as well in in the championship. Maybe it's because um, maybe it's because the PGMOL only worry about refereeing standards in leagues where they are going to be highlighted on shows like Match of the Day um, and live on Sky Sports on Super Sunday and stuff like that, that uh, that and and on uh, and on um, Sky Sports News and stuff, and they know that they're not going to get um, individual mistakes and uh, trends of refereeing highlighted in championship games. So they don't worry about stamping down on the quality of the refereeing. But I thought the referee was awful. Um, Not arguing about the penalty he gave against us, but there was a clear handball at the Brummie Road end from uh, from the Millwall player from a very early corner where he came out and he cleared it with his forearm. And I could not believe that the referee didn't even look at it. The whole the Brummy Road end all shouted for it because it was it was blindingly obvious. It was right in front uh, run, right in front of us. But I mean, look, those things happen. That uh, that's not really where I'm where I'm most annoyed. Where I'm more annoyed is about we got all these time wasting directives and we got uh, you know and we're seeing loads of added time in in the Premier League to cover off the fact that um that that the that there's been stoppages and things like that well the added time seems to have dried up a bit in 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 the championship i think there was i think there was 4 minutes at the at the end of the first half which seemed crazily small to me given that carl bartley had a head injury for quite some uh, quite some time and um and also millwall had a penalty which took a little bit of time to 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 put together and i think there was six at the end of at the end of the game which again given all the substitutions have happened and given that Kyle Bartley got sent from the field numerous times to change his shirt seemed low especially as the referee warned a, a millwall player for time wasting on the same player um for kicking the ball away on two separate occasions which brings me to my next point which is wasn't that said to be a mandatory booking that if you kick the ball away and you saw the referee go up to him and count on his fingers, that's one, two times you've done that. And if you do that again, I'm going to book you. Well, actually, if he's done it twice, he should be off because uh, because that's uh, that's two yellow cards. Obviously, it doesn't work like that because if he, if he gets the yellow card for the first one, he probably doesn't kick the ball away the second time. But I just I just think that all these things were something that the that the referees applied in the first two three weeks of the season in the championship and now they've just we've just completely reverted to type and there's uh, the, the added time is not getting added on to the same extent as it was in the first couple of games of the season um the, the there's not the yellow cards for knocking the ball away teams like Millwall, who who let's be fair, were extremely happy with uh, with a point. I mean, they they, they as I say, they had zero point zero three xg in that second half. They would they knew they were getting away with one, getting out of there with uh, with with one point. They were happy to to waste time and run down the clock, and the referee was happy to let them. There was no there was no clamping down on it, which which we saw in the first two three weeks of the season. 
these things are still getting highlighted in the Premier League because it has the attention of the uh, of the of the national and international media, and you've got. Um, you've got ex-referees on shows like uh, Sky Sports News and uh, and as pundits on, uh, on on live games and everything talking about these things. But in the championship, it's just flying under the radar that, 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 that referees have basically given a bit of a nod to this in the first two or three weeks of the season. And then they've completely and utterly given up on it and they just can't be bothered. And the only rule, the only rule that they are applying rock solidly and consistently is the most stupid one of the lot, which is this, you, you, when your player has to go off the field for 30 seconds after he's been injured. I mean, I cannot for the life of me get my head around that, Pete. I appreciate that's not the referee's fault. They've got to apply the laws as they're given to them. But when Carl Bartley gets his head split open, and you can see that the guy is not time wasting because there's because there's claret all over the pitch. To then punish him for getting his head split open by saying now you've got to stay off the pitch for thirty seconds because you've got because you've got a uh, you've had a head wound. It's just it's barking. It's it is penalising players. It is actually punishing players for getting hurt. That is what's happening. So. The rules that I agreed with, the clamping down on time wasting um, and the adding the time on at the end, like we saw in the World Cup, have completely evaporated. And the one that I would have loved to have seen referees just completely take a level of leniency on where they see players are genuinely, genuinely hurt and not apply it quite so rigorously seems to be the only blooming rule that they're actually applying properly. Yeah, and in fairness, the idea of having players off for 30 seconds after after they've been injured is, is useful to stop players just going down and wasting time and when they're not actually injured but then to actually suffer when when you've got a, a head that's split open and you're obviously not trying to time waste is it just it seems wrong but I'm not sure what other way you can go about it to stop players from just taking momentum out of the game and getting the physios on when, when they're not hurt at all um I agree, Pete, to... but then add the, add the time on at the end, which is what they're not doing again. Yeah, yeah, there is that. But then well, you can still kill the momentum, even if you do get the time added on at the end. It's, it's a tough one to, to kind of get the correct solution because you can't just ask the referee to to make a judgment on whether they're actually injured or they're just time-wasting. Um because then that, you know, that's just going to open them. No, no, I, I appreciate that, Pete. And like I say, I'm not getting on at the refs for for applying the laws as they're given to them. What I'm saying to you is that that, that they've taken a completely liberal ap- approach on what was apparently laid down to them about booking players for for time wasting and kicking the ball away, and they've taken a liberal apo- approach to adding all of this time back on, which they said they were going to do. And the only thing they haven't taken a liberal approach to is that one. So. My point is, if you're going to take a liberal approach to everything else, why can't you why can't you do it for that, which is a stupid rule? Or if and you're absolutely right, what should happen is that they should apply all of the laws as they're given to them strictly. And they're not doing that in the championship. It seems to be happening in the Premier League, but not in the championship. Yeah, we got it for the first few games. And then, like you say, it seems to slowly faded out a little bit. I think the referee against Millwall seemed reluctant to to get his cards out anyway. I think it was Alan Campbell that that seemed to be committing a foul every few minutes, and you could see the ref telling him that he's committed one here, one there, one there, and the next one's going to be a booking, but he just never seemed to come. Um, I think the only booking that came about was 
I think a Millwall, I can't remember who it was, but Millwall player got a yellow card and it was one from the video that looked like it could have been close to, to a red card. Um, and the player actually kind of looked surprised when he looked up and, and it was only yellow. But um, yeah, I think on the whole, he seemed reluctant to, to get the, to get the cards out. Yeah, I mean, look, it's just my frustration with uh, with, with officials. I, I appreciate the fact they've got a got a hard job, but when but when stuff gets handed down to them from the PJMOL, I you know uh, I I just expect them to apply it, and it it annoys me that you know uh, we're recording this on Sunday. I'm I'm sat here with with, with Super Sunday on uh, on in front of me, and I'm seeing I'm seeing the laws of the game uh, applied. I'm also seeing Sheffield United get an absolute kicking as well, by the way, because the fifth has just flown in. But um, uh, but but it just it just annoys me that. As per usual, we uh, we in the EFL leagues are the poor relatives, and we get the worst. We get the worst referees, or worse referees than the ones in the Premier League, and we get officials um, that because the games don't have multiple cameras, they don't have um, fifteen-minute highlight packages of them put together. That the uh, the the rules don't get applied as uh, as rigorously and and i just i just think that's wrong because the laws are the laws and you uh, and you apply them as they are given to you but that's just my that's just my personal take on it that's my two penneth rant uh for today and we shall we shall leave it there um pete and i will be back next week uh after I've had a merry trip to Deepdale and uh, we will see whether West Bromwich Albion can finally break that away hoodoo, whether they can break this uh, this run of draws that they're on. As I say, I think there are plenty of positives to take away with us from the last week um, and the way the Baggies have played in that period of time. But let's hope that that starts to translate into points as we go forward. But until then, thanks for listening and up the Baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with the McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.